welcome to the Stalk and I podcast for single women considering solo motherhood by donor conception. I'm your host, Mel Johnson, the solo motherhood coach and solo mum to a three-year-old daughter. Welcome to the final episode of series four of the Stalk and I podcast. This episode is going to be a little bit different from usual. Rather than inviting a guest, today I'm going to be talking about my experiences of social infertility raising the awareness of that and also sharing the thoughts of many of the community who've taken the time to write in and share their views and thoughts. It's National Fertility Awareness Week this week and so I wanted to use this podcast to really raise awareness about how it feels to be a single woman who wants to have children but doesn't have a partner to conceive naturally with. It's an ever-growing demographic and really important to be well represented. So this podcast is really focused for friends and family. I really want it to be for people who are supporting us with our journey, who want to know more. They want to help, they want to be supportive, but they don't necessarily know exactly how to do that. The rest of the podcast is really going to be directed to friends and family of people who are solo parents and who are considering solo parenting. I want to provide our friends and family information about how they best may be able to support us. Before I start, I just want to address two key points. So the first one is to say everybody's different. So I am talking about my experiences and I'm sharing um, content and information that the community have shared with me. But everybody's different. They'll all have their own views on things. So please don't take this as I'm saying that this is how everyone feels. This is how I feel. This is how the majority of people who have contacted me feel. But there are lots of different ways to feel about these things. And the key really is communication and understanding how your friends feel about them. The second is that I understand the world does not revolve around us. If we've made this decision to become a solo parent, it doesn't mean that we think everybody else has to drop everything and support us. What it means is for those who want to know more, who want to learn more, and who really want to support but just don't know the best way to do that, that this is some advice for you on how to best do that. So I just wanted to share that before we start. So I'm going to start off the podcast by just sharing a little bit about my own story for those of you who may not know. When I was 29, I split from a long-term partner. At that point, the main anxiety I had was about how that would impact my opportunity to have children. I had hope that I had time to meet someone else. But after years of dating into my mid-30s, that just hadn't happened for me. I really put a lot of effort into dating. I went on a lot of internet dates. Um, I dated some people who I'd met through friends. I really put a lot of work into trying to find someone, but it just didn't happen for me. I really lived a fulfilled and exciting life. I traveled the world. I met loads of amazing people. I had great adventures. Um, On the surface, it looked like I was having an amazing time, and I was, but underneath that, there was an anxiety that despite all of these things I was doing, ultimately I might miss out on parenthood. And I really needed to take a look at my options to check that that didn't happen to me. 
Although I was surrounded by lots of amazing people, I felt very lonely in my situation as I just didn't know anybody else who was in the same situation as me. I also felt like a bit of a failure. Why could I not meet that right person? Why was I not able to find someone who wanted the same things as me to start a family? I did feel like the only way to have a baby was to meet somebody and that's why it was so important to me to try to do that in time. It put a lot of pressure on dating. It's never a good situation to be in going on a date when you really want to have a baby and you know you're running out of time. I certainly didn't feel like my best self on dates. I so bought into the fairy tale of happily ever after being meeting somebody and having a baby together. I've definitely watched too many rom-coms in my time and I think it's deeply embedded into me that that was the way to achieve happiness. I felt like I put a lot of effort into dating with very limited return. What I realised at this point is I really needed to do a lot of reframing about being single. I thought that the only way to have a baby was to be in a relationship. And I was doing a lot of effort, I was putting a lot of effort in to stop being single and to meet somebody. And I realised that if I was going to consider solo parenthood, that the foundation of that that I would need is to feel confident about being single. So I started to do a lot of work on reframing being single. And if you are a friend or a family member of somebody who is thinking about solo parenthood or is in, in, on the journey embarking on solo parenthood, they may have to do that same thing. And it can be really helpful if you understand a little bit more about this yourself. So as a society, we put a lot of emphasis on coupledom and couplehood. And um, we have a lot of celebrations around meeting a partner. We place a lot of emphasis on happiness being defined by meeting a partner. And we really need to unpick some of those social narratives that some of us, many of us have grown up with. One of the things that I did was read the book, The Unexpected Joy of Being Single. And I know many of the community um, have got really high opinions of this book that really starts helping us to change our perspective about being single. Another book I've recently read is A Single Revolution by Shaney Silver and both of these books tackle what it means to be single and challenging our beliefs about being single. I really recommend reading both of these books to support people that are going through this and it also really helps us from coming from the mindset that it is better to do this in a partnership. If your friends have decided to do this, it's embracing this route to parenthood, not comparing it to how it would be with a partner. And so you might find that you have um, friends or family members who are almost working through a grieving process. I definitely went through a grieving process of how I was going to become a parent. And I really appreciate people who support me in that and helping me get through that rather than saying, you know, well, it would have been better if you were doing it in a different way. So to share some of the most supportive comments I got, I would say, I'm here for you. We support you. I don't ever want you to feel alone doing this. You might not have a partner, but you've got us. We're behind you. You can do this. They were great comments to receive when I talked about 
my plans with my friends. Some of the most frustrating comments I received is, you're still young, you have plenty to time to meet someone. So let me unpack that a little bit. There's three key reasons why this is not helpful, even though you're trying to be supportive. The first one is biologically, it's just not correct. So for me, I was maybe 37, 38 when I was telling people. And for them to say I have plenty of time, I'm not sure what statistics they were basing that on. If you look at the stats, and I've recorded an episode with Professor Joyce Harper who goes through these statistics, it's not really true that I've got plenty of time to meet somebody, to build a relationship with them to the point where I'm feeling confident that they are the right person to start a family with and then trying to conceive together naturally. And also, I've been single for the last eight years. Why all of a sudden in the next six months do we think I'm then going to meet somebody it's toxic positivity it's it's trying to be positive but not really factually accurate it also undermines our decision so if we're sharing that we have decided to become solo parents or to, to embark on that journey if someone's saying but you've still got so much time to meet somebody it's undermining the decision that we've made that we're going to do this without a partner and really reinforces the belief and makes us feel like it's the second best decision. The last thing is it's not really based on fact. So saying you've got plenty of time to meet someone, like I referred to, how can anyone tell you if you're going to meet someone? If you've been dating for years with no joy, how can someone reassure you that something's going to be different and that you're going to be able to meet someone? So you've got plenty of time. It really isn't a great supportive comment. I support your decision. Whatever that decision is, I'm here for you and I support you is a much better comment to make. Some of the other frustrating comments people in the community shared were, but it will be so hard. Do you know how hard it will be to do this on your own? So that comment really makes us feel quite stupid and like we haven't thought through how hard it might be. And also it makes us feel like you think we can't do hard things. So I absolutely am not suggesting that we don't share that parenting is hard. It is hard. I think most people agree that. But there's a way to say it which is more supportive. So a more constructive comment could be parenting is really hard shall we talk through how you can best set yourself up to manage and not feel like you're doing this alone so this isn't pretending it's not hard but it's much more solution focused and supportive than just putting it out there that it's really hard the other thing is many people are just doing a comparison of how they believe it would be on their own and it's not a fair comparison if you're parenting with a partner just thinking what it would be like without that partner isn't necessarily a great comparison to embarking on the journey from the beginning on your own. 
So then the next thing to talk about is if a friend shares with you that they're considering this route, you may have many questions. You may not know much about donor conception. It, why would you if you've not looked into it yourself? So there are a few things that can be quite frustrating to hear as a solo parent. The first one is, don't you think it's selfish knowingly bringing a child into the world without knowing who their father is? So again, it's not a very supportive comment. Rather than asking that question, the most supportive comment I had was, look, I don't know much about donor conception at all, but I'd love to know more so that I can support you properly. So there's some great resources that you can read to educate yourself. I would recommend, first of all, reading the basics on fertility treatment. It can be so exhausting having to talk everyone through the process that you have to go through. And some people end up just saying, I'm fine, or really glossing over it because they haven't got the energy to go into the detail. As someone supporting somebody, a friend or a family member through this, just re researching a little bit about the process can be really useful. It doesn't take long. You can easily find it on a Google search. I'd also highly recommend Susan Gollenbach's book. Susan Gollenbach is a leading researcher in this area. She's written a book called We Are Family. It has years of research of different family forms and the impact those family forms have on, a, on our children. So that will give you loads of insight into donor conception. Also, Jana Rupnow has written a book, Three Makes a Baby, again, all about raising a donor-conceived child. So that will help you learn much more about the process and be able to support your friends. So back to my story. I decided that IVF with donor sperm was the route I was going to go down because I didn't want to lose out on the opportunity to becoming a parent. And I didn't think I had time on my side to continue dating. Plus, dating hadn't been working for me up until that point, and I didn't know what was going to be different. Most of my friends were incredibly supportive and there for me. At this point, some of the most supportive things for me were offering to come to appointments with me, regularly checking in to see how things were going, but I want to make a point on that in a minute. Remembering some of the key dates, so I really felt like people were bought into it, being there for me. And then sometimes it was lovely to just receive a card or flowers from someone who was thinking of you, not in a materialistic way, but just to reinforce that there were people behind me thinking of me. Many of the community say it was also good at this point that their friends helped them to choose a sperm donor, gave them advice. Some people made a fun thing of it and held a party to choose from some options. So that can be a really nice thing. But it's really important that I go back here to the point that communication is key because everyone's different. What's supportive for some people might not be supportive for others. So checking in really is the best way to do that and asking how you can best support really is key. Just going back to the point I made about checking in to see how things are going. This really links back to the process I was referring to of understanding the process. So checking in to see how things are going is one thing and really supportive. Being realistic about it is another thing. So you, if someone shares with you that this is their intention, asking if they're pregnant one month later probably isn't really that supportive. It's a bit unrealistic. That's not how quickly usually things work. So 
checking in to see that how people are feeling but not necessarily checking up on on the status um can be really helpful but again ask your friend what they want what they need what would be the most supportive for them i went through the process of ivf and got three frozen embryos my daughter was the second transfer my friends and family were totally involved at every step of the way so in pregnancy, there were a few things I really appreciated and some great suggestions from the community of other things. So physical help, especially when you're pregnant, such as building new furniture is really appreciated. At the end of pregnancy, when maybe you're not feeling really up to building stuff or to do heavy lifting, the physical help can be a real benefit. Someone sent me an Excel spreadsheet of everything that I might need, and I thought that was super supportive offer of attending antenatal classes and being a birthing partner. So if that's something you think you could do, um, making that offer, again, your friend might not want that, but making the offer will be, is really beneficial. Thinking about hand-me-downs, um, are there any things that might be useful to share? Um, for two reasons, one for financial reasons, but other because it's nice to see things that your children have used handed down to somebody else who can make real benefit of them. Then there's offering to do the fun stuff together or making things less of a chore and more fun. So maybe accompanying someone pram shopping or choosing a car seat or just making a bit of a day of choosing some of the stuff that you might need to prepare. Some of the community talked about their friends who'd sent books. There's really relevant books that you can get, just pregnancy books or there's also like diverse family books just having a bit of thought and someone who is really showing that they're thinking of you. One of the best examples that I heard around someone who was supporting a solo parent who was pregnant is that they organised a baby moon. Why do baby moons be, have to be reserved for couples? They absolutely don't. So having friends organising a baby moon, that last holiday that you go on in a group, I think that was a brilliant idea and I loved that example checking in just in general on how you're getting on is there anything that you need is always useful and then one of the things that I think is a really great idea is organizing what support might be needed after the birth so in those first few weeks after the birth again everybody's different but what can be really great is that one person takes responsibility to do that organizing so you're liaising as that person and saying, you know, what might you need? And you can organize a bit of a timetable. Who's coming round? What are they bringing? Do you need shopping? You know, is it a break from childcare, etc. So having somebody doing that organizing can be really useful. Again, everybody's different. Someone might want people to come round every day to help with different things. Other people might just want to spend time on their own. But having someone managing that can be really helpful. It really takes the burden off you because it can be a bit overwhelming in those first few weeks. So finally, the baby's here. Leading into being a solo mum, I've got a great list of examples of great support that can be provided and also some classic what not to do's. So I've had such a great support in completely different ways and I wanted to share my examples along with the great examples from the community. So. The first thing to mention is it might be important to readjust your relationship. So 
prior to becoming a solo parent, I was an independent person who very rarely had to ask for help. My friends were really used to having that relationship with me. And you might need to get used to that relationship changing. I really struggled asking for help. And many people in this community have shared that they also struggle. But we might really need help and really crave it. And so sometimes it's just trying to plug the gap of what help we need and what help our support network can offer. One of the biggest fears of the solo parent community is that people will think, well, we made this decision, therefore we must do it by ourselves. Who are we to ask for help when we've gone into this knowing what we're signing ourselves up for? It's so hard having that thought in your head and then asking people for help who you think may feel that we're not entitled to that help. Some people have actually been told that, which makes it almost impossible for them to ask for help. The way that I look at it is most parents in a couple need help. Most parents in any situation need help. So why, when you're parenting solo, would we not need help? It's not a negative. Actually, it's deepening connections with our friends and family. I would say that I've got much strength in connections with certain people who've really provided me that additional support. I guess by the fact you're listening to this podcast, you don't feel like your friends should be doing it alone with no help. But asking for help can be really hard. So some of the ways you can offer to help is, I'd love to help you. What would be the most help? Please feel free, you can always come to me. Please feel that you can always come to me for help. I don't know how best to help you, but I really want to. Please give me some guidance. Everyone's different and everyone wants different help. Something that happened to me is I got offered a lot of childcare. So people thought that they were really helping by saying that they would take my daughter and look after her to give me some time. Actually, in the beginning, I wanted less help with childcare, but actually wanted the company. And so it's feeling confident saying, thank you so much for the help. But actually, what would be more helpful for me is just coming and hanging out with us and spending some time together. So the key is having an honest dialogue, really being able to find out what the person wants you to do to help and what you can give. I've had a really honest conversation with my mum, who's one of my main helpers, and I've asked her to really be confident to say no rather than a reluctant yes. So I don't want to feel guilty when people are helping me. So if they can't help, I'd rather they said no. So having, again, that open and honest dialogue is key. If you are thinking about what ways you could help, I've got some tips of some of the best ways that you can offer that help. Number one, a lie-in. Honestly, for me and for many in this community, it doesn't get better than a lie-in. If there's any way you can give us a lie-in, it would be so, so appreciated. We hardly ever get them. It's such a treat. I've been on holiday with a group of friends and every day I got up early with my daughter and when they got up they took it in turns to look after her so I could go back to bed and that was so appreciated. I've also had friends stay over at my house and get up and go with the children early to allow me to have a lie-in. My mum does that about once a week which is so so appreciated and sometimes when my dad stays over he does the same. 
I've stayed at friends' houses and they've said to me, let us give you a lie-in. We'll get up with the kids in the morning. It's my number one treat. I absolutely love it. And if you can offer that to somebody, I'm sure they'd be hugely appreciative. So a lie-in is number one, but it's closely followed for me by bath time and bedtime. As a solo parent, you have to do bath time and bedtime routine every single night. Sometimes it's absolutely delightful and you look at the scene and think, oh, this is everything I've ever dreamed for. Sometimes it's really hard work and feels really relentless. Your child doesn't want to brush their teeth. They don't want to get into their pajamas. They're giving you every excuse under the sun about why they don't want to go to bed. You've read six books that you've read hundreds of times before and you're sitting with them whilst trying to get them to sleep thinking about all the things that are waiting for you downstairs to do as soon as that's done. There have been times, particularly where I'm tired, where I've thought I literally cannot face another bedtime and bath time routine. I've had so many friends take over and do it when I've stayed with them and when they've stayed here. And my mum always offers to do it when she's here. And it's a real help. Just having one night where you don't, you're not responsible for that can be really helpful. So having someone else offer to do it is such a treat. Other suggestions of things that you can do to support somebody who's a solely parent. Some of the child entertaining when you're out with a group of friends. So I've been out with friends and sometimes who I haven't caught up with for a long time. And at the end of the day or the evening, I felt like I've barely said a word to any of them and I've not caught up at all because I've been so preoccupied looking after my daughter. Something that I find so supportive is when people notice that and they take her from me and entertain her for a little bit to allow me to just socialize and catch up with people. It really is hugely appreciated. Then at times, it's not been childcare that I've been looking for. Like I said previously, it's actually company. So although many people offer childcare, it can be worth considering that sometimes it can be lonely parenting solo. And it's not really a break from our children we're looking for, but rather for people to come and hang out with us as a family. So offering to come and just spend time with us is often hugely appreciated. And then this leads to a key point that loads of solo parents mentioned when I asked for input. Include us. Invite us places. Include us in your plans. See if we want to join in what you're doing. Invite us for days out, for sleepovers, for Sunday lunch, for play dates, on holidays, everywhere. Everything you're doing, we want to be included. It can feel lonely thinking that we have the whole weekend ahead of us with no plans. So being included in our friends' and family's plans is hugely appreciated. I've been on group holidays, on big family holidays. I've joined people for days out, countless sleepovers at friends' houses, people coming to stay with me. I feel really lucky that I'm often included. But sometimes I know other people don't feel as included. And sometimes it can be difficult to ask if we can come along for the fear of rejection or that we're putting you out that you want to spend family time and you don't want someone else hanging out with you. Sometimes you might hesitate to ask us to do something as it seems like we're always busy. If we are busy, it's because we've made loads of plans as we don't want to spend an entire weekend with no adult company. We've made plans with people who've asked us to do things with them. 
for me, please don't stop asking me to do things because you think I'm really busy. I love a full calendar and the way I become really busy is because people ask me to do things with them. It's much harder for solo parents to make a last minute plan for the fear that no one will be free. That's often why we plan so far in advance as we don't want to be left with no plans. When you're in a partnership, having no plans means you can just enjoy family time at home. But for a solo parent, it means no adult company, which for some can be really tough. Therefore, really think before you cancel on us, especially at last minute. It might leave us with no plans. And for some of us, that will feel really devastating and lonely. When you do spend time with us, one tip is please take pictures of us. We don't have many pics of us with our kids that aren't selfies. And it's lovely to get some moments snapped. I know that's the same for many people in couples who don't feel like they have enough pictures. So we can all do it for each other. The same goes throughout pregnancy. Help us get some lovely pregnancy shots that aren't selfies. When I look back at my pregnancy pics, I'm really disappointed that I didn't get better pics taken that weren't a dodgy selfie in the mirror. I actually wish I'd done a pregnancy photo shoot. That would be a lovely gift for somebody, although I know it's not for everyone. One of the challenging parts of solo parenting is finding time for yourself. Any help just to give you a bit of time for yourself is so appreciated. I often have help for an hour or so and I use it to do simple things like cook dinner, exercise, finish some work, tidy the house up a bit, pop to the shops, read a book or my absolute favourite, have a soak in the bath. If you can provide help for someone to do any of those things or something that's more important to them, they'll really appreciate it. During COVID, a friend of mine took Daisy for two hours a day for a walk so I could work. That was one of the most thoughtful, supportive things that I had throughout COVID and was really the only way I managed to survive. Special occasions are another thing that you can really help support on. Mother's Day and birthdays. It's so nice if you help our children make us cards and think of a small thoughtful gift for us, even if it's something homemade. I've recently had some lovely cards for my daughter for my birthday. My mum also stayed over the, at mine for the night, so she woke up in the morning, which was really nice so that I could celebrate it with, together. Another area you can show support is talking about donor conception. As I talked about earlier, it's great to educate yourself about donor conception, but it's also really important to have the conversations if you've got your own children about how we talk to them about donor conception. I start off by talking about different family forms. I use the book, The Big Book of Families. That's a great one as it shows all the difference families can have. And it's really useful for anybody, no matter what their path to parenthood is, for their children to read it. It would also make a great present for somebody. Reading the book or listening to the podcast that I recorded with Susan Gollenbach, We Are Family, can be a really great way of learning more in this area. And then being curious, don't treat it like an elephant in the room, asking us how we're handling it, what we've learned, what they should, what you should know. I've really appreciated the open conversations I've had with people and the discussions I've had around how I'm talking to my daughter, what is okay to say to other people's kids, etc. I recorded a great episode of the podcast with Sarah Sproul, who talks about how we talk to our kids. I've had some great conversations with friends about how what we should say to their children if they're asking and they're curious about it and for me for everybody just being prepared and confident about 
how we answer the questions is really great. So then I've got another list of a few things not to say. So one of the things that can be really frustrating is to hear I pretty much solo parent myself. I think it's important to think a bit wider than just spending time without a partner supporting. It's around the financial shared responsibility, having someone at the end of a text or the end of a phone call, somebody to go on holiday with, somebody to take the responsibility of childcare with. I know everybody's in different situations, but really think, are you solo parenting? I think what's really supportive is to say, wow, I had a taste of doing this without a partner for a short period of time and it was tough. So much respect to you for doing it. Something that people are really mixed on is around talking badly about partners. Some people like to be reminded that it's not always the fairy tale it's made out to be parenting in a partnership. Other people don't like to hear someone complaining who's got a partner. So what I found is people ask me, you know, does it irritate you if I share some challenges I'm having with my partner? And for me, I'm like, no, it doesn't irritate me at all. It's a good reminder. For others, they may not want to hear that. So it's best to ask. The thing I just want to end on is really back to the importance of open and honest conversations. When I had a newborn, at times I sat at home wondering to myself why more people weren't coming round to my house to see me. They knew it would be hard for me to go out and so I wondered why they weren't offering to come round to mine to socialise at home, to maybe have dinner or just to catch up. When I shared that with my mum, she said, have you invited people around to yours and they're saying that they can't come? Um, I had not done that. I was thinking that people would know by telepathy that that is what I wanted. Of course, as soon as I shared that with my friends, they immediately said, okay, when shall we come round? That's an absolutely great idea of how to catch up and socialize. So I think sometimes as a solo parent, we can sit at home wondering why people aren't giving us the support we want. Whereas in reality, we need to take responsibility for that. But as a friend or family member who is trying to give the best support they can, really asking, how can I best support you? Are you feeling lonely? Is there anything I can do with that? Really, really appreciated. So I've dedicated this episode to friends and family. Thank you so much if you've taken the time to listen, to understand a little bit more around how it feels solo parenting and making that decision. If you want more advice, absolutely feel free to reach out to me and I can offer advice on how to best support your friend or family member who is considering solo parenting or who is a solo parent. As I say, everybody's different, so it's not a one-size-fits-all, but I think that a lot of what I've covered, many people in this community feel. Thank you so much to everybody who took the time to offer their insights and provide me what they think would be most supportive and the examples of what's worked really well for them. I hope I've included everything. If I haven't, please feel free to add your comments of what you found really supportive or what hasn't worked for you on the social media post that goes alongside this podcast. So that is the end for series four of the podcast. Series five, I'm really excited about. I'm recording it at the moment and it's going to be dedicated completely to donor conception. I'm going to be speaking to donor conceived people about their experiences and 
experts on donor conception so we can all learn as much as we can about donor conception, ensuring that we're making the right decisions and we're supporting our children in the best way possible. It's going to be out early next year and I'm really excited for you to hear it. Thanks so much for listening and as always, if you've enjoyed the podcast, please do take a few minutes to rate and review. It really helps me get the message out there. Thanks so much and see you again next year.